Welcome back to the South Harbor Church Podcast. South Harbor is a part of the Harbor Churches, which exist to help people find their way back to God. This week, we begin a new, long-term study of the book of Genesis. Pastor Tim brings us a message where we look at the question, why Genesis? As always, for more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, stick around after the message. And now, let's head over to Pastor Tim. got a Bible. We're going to be in Luke 24. Uh, I, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Tim. I'm, I'm glad you're with us. Um, you picked a good day to join us. We're launching into a 39-week study on Genesis. And, uh, and so we're going to start in Luke, but we will eventually get to Genesis. Um, maybe you're actually even thinking, like, why, why would we start in Luke if we're in Genesis? Um, just, just stay with me. I, I, uh, my goal today is uh, I want to set the stage for where we're going over the next 39 weeks together. Um, and by the way, uh, some of you picked up our devotional, and I heard, I just, Rob caught me, and he's like, I, I, we're out. So um, some of you did not get the devotional. We put together a weekly devotional, and, uh, and the, or I'm sorry, a daily devotional. And if you were to start today, so if you got this, and you were able to start, you you're able to start, start today, and you will be on track to, to work with us through each of the sermons. So if you start today, the first day is Sunday, um, you'll be on track. For those of you who didn't get one, we placed a second order, and those should be in, Lord willing, next week. Okay, so um, you'll be a week behind, but you'll, you can catch up. Um, but we, we should have them next week if you were unable to get them. Uh, we, we guessed conservatively because we, we didn't want to be sitting on a box, like boxes of books. And so we, we or, but we ordered 250. And so I'm excited. That means 250 people, 250 families are in the scriptures. Um, our heart behind this devotional, the reason we put it together is, uh, first and foremost, we want, we, want, uh, we want to see the awe and wonder of the book of books come to life, not just on a Sunday morning, but in your homes. Uh, that's really the passion. As I uh, spent a lot of time writing these uh, devotionals and trying, my hope was that we, um, as we try to do every Sunday here, we try to draw connections and see things we haven't seen before, um, see the scriptures come to life in a new way. Uh, what we tried to do, what I tried to do in the daily readings is to draw some of those connections. I actually think that when you see it with your own eyes, it will it sticks a little bit more, as Isla mentioned. It, my words don't tend to stick. But the, when you see it yourself, which just means I can repeat myself, which is good. Um, when you see it yourself, uh, I promise you that you'll see connections, you'll make connections. Um, what's truly exciting for me is when you begin to get into the scriptures, I, some of you have had this experience, what you discover is that these words that some of them are 5,000-year-old words, they when they become relevant to your life and you find, oh, wow, these ancient words are actually fresh words and they speak to the thing, I need some, I need some help in this right now. Uh, and you discover that these ancient stories connect with your story, that's when things start getting really interesting. And so our hope is that happens. Um, all that to say, uh, we should have more next week. So next week, uh, on the back tables, it's our gift to you. Um, there's no cost to you. Uh, some have asked... Uh, if you're curious, what it costs us is about $10 a book. So if you want to help offset the cost, it's about $10 a book. Um, but it is our gift to you, so don't worry about that. Sound good? Okay. Um, why Genesis? That, 
has been the question I've got. So we spent 13 months in the book of Matthew. That makes sense. Uh, Matthew makes sense. It's the life of Jesus. Matthew records his account of the life of Jesus. Uh, Jesus is our, our rabbi, our teacher, our Lord, our Savior. It makes sense that we spend 13 13 months studying the life of Jesus, but a number of you, or at least a couple of you, have asked me over the last couple of weeks as we've been talking about, hey, next, after this, we're going into Genesis. Uh, I've gotten the question a few times now, why Genesis? Why Genesis? Of all the books, uh, especially because there's some controversial stuff in Genesis. Uh, what you'll discover in some of these uh, weekly readings uh, is there'll be a little asterisk and it'll say, not suitable for children. Uh, there are parts of the, the book of Genesis that are uh, I use caution if you're reading it for the first time with a group of kids. Um, it, some of the stuff is really hard. It's, it's tough stuff. Some of the stuff is controversial stuff. And um, how do we interpret? Uh, is it seven literal days of creation? Is it evolution? Was there a real flood that covered the whole earth? Was there not? We'll get into all of it. My hope is we get into all that. Um, uh, but my hope this morning is to do my best to explain why Genesis? Why, of all the books we could study this year, um, why would we study Genesis? Beginning next week, we will do the deep dive, and we'll get into Genesis chapter 1, and we'll do what we do every week. We'll dive deep into the text. We'll study it line by line, verse by verse, sometimes word by word. Um, but today, I want to simply rest on that question, why Genesis? And to do that, I want to look at a different story that comes out of Luke. Uh, this story is an encounter of uh, Jesus is, has just been resurrected. The story right before the story we're going to look at is the story of the resurrection. Uh, Jesus is, uh, there, this story is of two people, two disciples, who were walking from the, the scene of Jerusalem. They've all been there for the Passover, and they're making their way home. Uh, and Jesus is going to meet them on a road to their home in Emmaus. You know it as the story of the road to Emmaus if you grew up in the church. Uh, it's in Luke 24, verse 13. Now, that same day, <clears throat> two of them, so that same day, resurrection day. Okay, so now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Let's pause here. Um, let me show you on a map. The story's taking place. Again, they gathered for Jerusalem, all Jews, once a year, actually three times a year, there were three pilgrim festivals. The main one is known as the Passover. They're all gathered for the Passover. We spent a lot of time, if, if you were with us over the last couple of months, talking about the Passover. They're here for the Passover. Passover is now wrapped up, and they're heading back home, and they're having a conversation. Now, um, we know, and we'll read in just a moment, we know what they're talking about when it says all the things that had happened. Uh, in particular, the thing that they're talking about is they're disciples of Jesus. We find this out. Um, and the thing that had happened in their mind, all they know is that Jesus has been arrested, he's been tried, and then he was killed. And then they placed him in a tomb, and now they heard rumors, they heard a story that his body's not in that tomb. And so their natural conclusion is if his body's not in the tomb anymore, somebody stole him. Somebody stole his body. And, uh, and so they're making their way back. They followed Jesus. We don't know how long these two disciples followed Jesus. Um, but, but at least for a while, they followed Jesus if they're his disciples. And now they're heading back home. They're, they're, as far as they're concerned, the project failed. It's over. Time to go back to the old job. Time to go back. Peter goes back to fishing. Uh, many of the disciples go back to their villages. Time to go back to the old job. It's over. And then Jesus meets them on the road. 
Uh, verse 15. As they talked to discuss these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and he walked alongside with them. Uh, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About, I like how Jesus just plays aloof. What things? Uh, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us what they, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and, enter, and then enter into his glory? Now here's the line. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Just sit on that line. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets. When Jesus tells his story, so when, G when Jesus tells his life story, Jesus does not begin his story when he begins his public ministry with his baptism by his cousin John. Jesus does not even begin his story with the virgin birth and the angels and the manger. Jesus, when he tells his story, goes back further. Uh, we read here, it's um, this mention to the, the reference to the prophets. Um, that reference to the prophets is a reference to the end of your Old Testament. There's a bunch of kind of longer names, hard to pronounce names. Um, those are the prophets. I, I, uh, I still, I, I'm formally trained in this, and I'm still, every time I think about the prophets, I have to remember them based on a song I learned in third grade school. Uh, the, the old song, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Limitations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Rebecca, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and the last one, Malachi. Um, yeah, that's how I remember the names. Um, those are the prophets. So Jesus goes to those stories, in the words of those, and he links himself, his story, to the words of the, these ancient stories, to the words of the prophets. But it's not just this. He also links himself to uh, this figure, this name, Moses. Raising the question, who's Moses? Some of you are familiar with Moses. Moses is the guy that, uh, be, his story begins in the book of Exodus. Moses is the guy that leads the Israelites out of slavery. God uses Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, so what are we doing talking about Moses in a series on Genesis? What, what's, the, what's the point here? Um, well, once, once Moses leads the Israelites out of slavery, God brings him to a mountain. We know it as Mount Sinai in the Bible. And uh, I believe it's Exodus 24. And he gets to Mount Sinai, Exodus 24, and God calls Moses up on the mountain. And then from the mountain, God speaks to Moses. Moses comes down the mountain, shares the words, but we are told that something in that interaction, Moses writes down. Tradition holds, and uh, to the Jewish people, they believed, uh, tradition holds, that the words Moses writes down are the first five books of your Bible what they refer to as Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, Torah. In other words, when Jesus begins uh, this reference to Moses and the prophets, it's Torah and the prophets. 
Jesus begins his story not with the virgin birth, with the manger, um, or even with the baptism in the Jordan River by his cousin John. Jesus, when he begins his story, begins his story in Genesis. So why Genesis? Well, apparently there's something that Jesus sees in Genesis that we need to see if we're going to understand who he is. But as it turns out, it's not just Jesus who does this. Uh, Jesus' disciples, uh, John, Jesus' youngest disciple, begins his gospel with these words. If you're following along, it's John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. Um, Later, he'll tell us that the Word is Jesus himself. So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light, the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, John, so Jesus begins his story in Genesis. John, it seems, if if these words at all sound familiar, it's because John is quoting, directly quoting, the first line of the Bible when he says, in the beginning. And then when he talks about light, the first act of creation was light. John sees it all and says, do you want to understand Jesus? You know that story in Genesis about the creation of the world. That's where Jesus' story starts. So John seems to believe also, uh, uh, Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he says, let there be light. So Jesus says, if you want to understand my story, start in Genesis. Uh, John, his disciple, his youngest disciple, arguably his closest disciple, he starts in Genesis. But it's not just John, uh, Matthew. Um, If you remember back, if you were with us 13 months ago, when we began the series on Matthew, Matthew begins his gospel not with the story of Christmas. That comes in Matthew 2. But Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy. A genealogy is a family tree. And his genealogy, he traces the life of Jesus all the way back to a man named Abraham. Abraham's story takes place in Genesis. So Jesus begins in Genesis. John begins in Genesis. Matthew begins in Genesis. Luke Uh, When he's writing an account of Jesus' life, he tells a genealogy in Luke chapter 3. And in Luke's genealogy, he traces Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam. Adam's story takes place in, drumroll please, yeah, Genesis. (laughs) At the risk of overstating my point, Paul, uh, the guy who plants all the churches, many churches, uh, the, the, the convert to Jesus, he's a blinding light on the road, And he now has to go to the world and and tell the world who doesn't know the story about Jesus. When Paul does that work, Paul also begins in Genesis. He doesn't begin. Sometimes he begins with his personal story. And sometimes when he's talking about Jesus, he begins in Genesis. In fact, um, there's one story in particular where he meets a group of people who had never, they're bowing down to a statue, but they have no idea why. They just don't want to miss one. Uh, They they have to appease these gods and they don't want to miss one. And uh, Paul says these words, stories in Acts 17. Uh, Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everything, everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. So the story of the making of the heavens and the earth, that story is told where? Genesis. Uh, the story of one man becoming all nations. 
Uh, that's a reference to Adam, and Adam's story is in... You get my point? Okay, I, I, I'll stop there. But you can find the, the book of Hebrews. When Hebrews tells the story of Jesus, it begins in Genesis. Um, again and again and again. Uh, so why Genesis? Well, apparently, if we're going to understand Jesus, according to Jesus and his first followers, we have to understand something about these ancient stories that predate Jesus by 3,000 years-ish. Uh, the stories that are found in the book of Genesis. Okay, that raises a deeper question, maybe the question behind the question, maybe a more interesting question to you. Um, and that's the question, why? Why Genesis? Why would he go all the way back there? Why does Jesus go all the way back there? Why not, why not start with a virgin birth? It's a pretty good story. Why not start with, like, why would they go all the way back to Genesis? Why, like, why is that necessary? Why start in Genesis in the first place? Why do all the disciples, they've got, they've got these stories. Why do they go all the way back? Now, to get at that, I got to tell you uh, a story. Um, it is, uh, it's a, I'm going to say it. Um, it's a story, I've shared it before, I think here, but I, again, I can't remember my sermons either. So um, I'm going to share it again. If you heard it before, I apologize at the risk of over. Um, of, of sharing it again, uh, I'll, I'll share it again. Um, but it's, for me, it's a story that has been, it's really personal to me, and it's, uh, in many ways, it's the story behind my call. Um, it, people ask me often, like, when did you determine to be a pastor? Or when did you hear the call? Or, I mean, different people have a different language for it. Um, in many ways, this story was a central piece of that, at least in terms of how I think about what I do. It goes all the way back to when I was 22, um, when I was 22, I was a student at Hope College. Do we have any Hope alum? All right, all right. Any Calvin? Stop, stop, stop. I got a yo. <laughs> Calvin in Philly. Uh, yes. Uh, the <laughs> um, so I went to Hope College, and I... Uh, I, um, so when I was 22 years old, I was uh, dating a girl, and we were pretty serious. Uh, I had thought, honestly, that I was going to marry her, um, and uh, I had uh, actually, like, we had talked about rings. I would kind of planned this whole thing. I thought, like, this was it, and at that time, I was convinced. Maybe, maybe you've got a story similar to this where you were dating somebody or seeing someone, and you thought, this person is the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with, and, and so you start doing the thing... Um, where you're starting, you're starting to plan it in your head. And uh, I, uh, at Hope College, there's a thing that happens in, in your senior year. Um, I don't know if it still happens. So those of you who are younger than me who went to Hope, tell me if this is still a thing. But when I was at Hope, they referred to it as the senior scramble. Is that, they still call it that? Calvin, you call it that? Yeah, it's like everyone has to date everyone because you don't want to be single at the end of college. That was the idea. Um, or the, the other way they would talk about it is we need a ring by spring. Um, like you got to get a ring by spring. Some people refer to it as getting your MRS degree or your MR degree. Um, it, like there was this sense at Hope College, at least when I was a student there, uh, and I was sucked right into this. I was in that same boat. Like there was this sense that if you didn't find somebody at Hope College, you were doomed. <laughs> it's like it's, the line between college pride and absolute delusion is very thin. Um, but as a Lions fan, I've learned how to walk that line. Um, by the way, today, big day, big day. We have Seahawk fans here. Uh, yeah, don't, no, no. We accept all sinners. 
Oh, man. I, but anyway, I was, I was sucked into... I was fully sucked into this pressure that, like, if I didn't find somebody by the end, and I was dating this girl, and I thought this was it, and then at 22 years old, um, we broke up, and I just remember, um, like, what do you do when it's like you think, like, your, pl- your future's going to look like this, and then all of a sudden, in the course of just a few hours, you realize, uh, I had this whole plan, and it's not going to play out like I thought it was going to play out. Now what do I do? Um, or have you ever had... Uh, you're heartbroken, and you realize, like, this is a moment that I, I don't know that I've ever managed or navigated these waters before, and I don't know that I know how to do the, this. And I look back now, and I'm thinking, I've since gone through pain that was way worse and way harder. But at that time in my life, it was the most significant pain I'd ever gone through. And, uh, and understandingly, I, I'm in elementary school when it comes to suffering compared to some of you. You've, some of you have your PhD in suffering. I, I mean, you've just incurred... Some, some horrible stuff. Um, but at that time, it felt like the rug was pulled out of me. And I, I remember it felt like there was like a fog that I just couldn't shake. Um, I don't remember how else to describe, or I don't know how else to describe it other than I just, it just felt like it was like a fog. And I, you try to like fake it, but it's like everyone could kind of sense like, okay, this, like something's going on. What's going on is the question I would get a lot. And at that time, I was, uh, during the school year, I got this great job working in the library at Hope College. And so it's just a great job when you're in college because most of your time you can read and study while getting paid to read and study. Um, but in the summers, I took on uh, full-time work at the library, which was an even better job. Uh, just kind of stocking the shelves and looking through the... Literally, my job was to walk down the books and make sure they were all in order. <laughs> that was my job. Uh, and so um, I would do that. And then on my breaks, on my lunch break, I would uh, go and I would wander the campus of Hope College. And... Um, uh, Honestly, I felt lost at that time. Like, I just felt like I was in a fog. I didn't know what my life was going to be. I didn't know. Um, I actually, up until then, I had a problem with Jesus talking about people as lost. I'm like, that's not fair, Jesus. That's real critical, and that's judgmental. Why would you refer to people as lost? I, if, it didn't really make sense to me until I felt lost, honestly. Like, and then I realized, oh, that's the word for it. That is what I'm actually feeling. I don't know where I'm going. And I would just wander uh, around Hope College's lot and just kind of talk to myself, and um, I would wander. And I ended up one day finding my way into this old building known as Graves Hall. Okay, now if you're a younger student, you have no frame of reference for this. Um, it's, it's the second oldest building, and it's beautiful now. They renovated this building, and it's stunning. Um, but when I was there, it was still an old, old building, and I found my way into it. The name Graves Hall, it was like, it fit the building. So I, I found my way into Graves Hall, and I uh, remember kind of walking through this building, and I got lost, and um, I was trying to get, my, get out of the building, and I was downstairs in the building, and there was all of these doors, and I was trying to find my way out, and I stumbled into one of the doors, and inside the doors, the room was about 10 by 10, and uh, there was a mop sitting in one corner, a garbage, like a, one of those big garbage pans, and a stack of Kleenexes in the, uh, on the other side. And then on the other side of the wall, there was a cross, uh, like a kneeling bench, and three rows of like, really short pews. Okay, you get the mental picture? Uh, and I realized as I walk in, this is like a chapel. This is a little church. And uh, what was really interesting was on the table next to the Kleenexes, there was a, uh, like a journal opened, like a, a little moleskin 
Moleskine, I don't know how to say it, um, journal, and it was open, and it said 2005, that was the year I graduated, 2005 on the top, that was the year it was, and it was opened, and I, uh, so I, I kind of made my way in, shut the door, and I started paging through, you're smiling because you know exactly the room I'm talking about, did you? Uh, maybe not, um, but I, I was paging through the journal, and, uh, and I realized these are prayers. It's like a prayer journal. What was really interesting as I was paging through the journal, um, behind me, I saw this stack of, like, some of them were stacked up and some of them were on the shelf, and there were just journals stacked back years. Uh, I saw a journal from 1986, one from 1972, uh, and then I, the oldest one I found was from 1947. And uh, I realized that this is a stack of prayer journals going all the way back to the 40s. Life has changed a lot since the 40s, um, but I, like, I just remember I was sitting there thinking, these, these are the prayers. And so I found myself over the course of several lunch hours making my way back to that little chapel, and I would open up these journals. And um, I was like addicted to reading through these journals. Um, they profoundly gave me hope. Uh, there was a journal from 1947, and I opened it. And in 1947, there was a guy... And he, he didn't speak like I spoke necessarily, but I could tell it was, a, it was a dude. And his girlfriend and he had broken up. And he was writing about how miserable he was and what was he going to do. And then in 1972, there was a girl and she was writing about how her, like, she wasn't sure what she was going to do with her future because she had ended a relationship. And then in 1986, there was a, an article or somebody had written something about heartache and loss and love and, and what they're going to do. And I had this moment where I realized, in the weirdest way, their, their suffering gave me hope. Um, reading through those journals and experiencing those journals in the weirdest way gave me hope. And uh, I say that I look back and say, that was the moment I realized, I think I have to be a pastor. Because what I discovered was, if these, if these stories from, what gave me hope was, Okay, these are like my grandparents' generation, right? This is my grandparents' generation, and they turned out fine. Like, they did okay for themselves. And so I'm going to be okay. Like, that, that was, I remember reading through these journals thinking, if it, it, like, if they went through it in the, in the, my hunch is they got over it, and I feel lost right now. I feel like I'm in a fog. But if they could get through it, I can get through it. And what drove me um, to ministry in many ways was I had this sense that uh, the, the biblical stories... See, it's possible to read the Bible as scripture, like the thing you have to do. Uh, in fact, I hope you don't do that with the devotional. I hope you don't see it as like, I have to do this. It's, it's like a thing that I'm being asked by the church to do. Um, and, but th there's a way to read the Bible as scripture that you can lose its power. Uh, but as I found my way into the scriptures, um, into some of the stories that were referenced in the prayer journals, I just remember reading these stories that were 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 years old. And some of the stories in this book brought, like, put words to the stories I was feeling in my own life and just brought words to life for me. Uh, I, I found myself, the, the stories that actually were the stickiest, the stories that actually resonated the deepest were the stories that in many ways are the most painful. They always felt the most real to me. Um, the stories, and honestly, your, your Bible is filled with real stories of real suffering and real pain. Um, I've... I love teaching the Bible. I love teaching the Bible. 
but I do not identify myself first and foremost as a Bible teacher. Um, I, I, I'll often people describe me or introduce me that, oh yeah, Tim teaches the Bible. I love that. I, there's nothing that gives me more joy than opening up the Bible with you and, um, and it coming to life. I, I love that. I love doing that. But first and foremost, I, um, I identify myself as a pastor. I love the stage, but I actually, um, the moment I, I love even more is being able to sit with you. Um, many of you have had the opportunity to do this with and, uh, and to, to, to sit in my office or over coffee or something and to talk through the scriptures with you um, as a pastor. And over the, the last 15 or so years of doing this work, um, I've had opportunities to hear hundreds of stories. And one of the things I've observed in 15 years of ministry is we all have a story. Um, every single one of us, we have a story. And I've also discovered that I, I kept hearing this line again and again from people is, I've not shared this with anyone. I've not shared this with anyone. Or I haven't really talked about this with anyone. And one of the things I've, I, over the last 15 years, I've noticed is that some of our most painful stories, we don't talk about. Like culturally, we just don't talk about it. Uh, when I first came to this church 10 years ago, uh, uh, I shared, so my, my wife and I were on a, uh, the, we were working through the infertility and IVF um, journey, and I remember walking through the, the fertility clinic and, on the Beltline, and um, uh, just kind of walking in there, it felt like there was like a cloud of shame over the building. Um, people just didn't make eye contact. I remember walking down the halls and like no one looked at you um, that were the patients. The, the staff was incredible, but the, like anyone who was there, like everyone just looked down and I remember thinking, well, there's like a shame here that no one should feel, but people feel. And I kind of felt it myself. And, um, and, I, and I, uh, I talked to my wife about it. We prayed about it. And I thought maybe we should share, I should share that with the church. Um, not that we should share all of our things with everyone, but I just had the sense that I wonder if somebody else is feeling shame or grief over this, and so maybe we should share it. And, and I shared it. And uh, this was nine years ago, 10 years ago. And uh, I remember exactly where I was standing after the service. It was right in this corner, and all of a sudden, this line developed And uh, after the service. And it was couple after couple saying to me, oh, yeah, we had the same story. We were there, too. We haven't really talked about it. We had the same story. We were there, too. Um, we were name dropping the doctors, and it was just like, I remember leaving that day and thinking, how many tears did we all shed thinking we were the only ones who felt this? Like, how many of us felt so alone going through a pain that so many others actually felt? Uh, a couple weeks ago, I was sitting with a friend um, over coffee at the Full Circle in Byron Center. Um, love that place. And um, we were having a conversation, and at some point in the conversation, the topic of a miscarriage, miscarriages came up. And this friend said to me, yeah, we've, we've had this, and we've grieved our child. We've had a miscarriage. And I, and they said this, he says, why don't we talk about it in church? And it made me think, it's a great question. Why don't we talk about it in church? He's like, I, my experience has been lots of my friends have had miscarriages. Why don't we talk about it? It feels like it's something we go through and like nobody talks about it. And so we really don't know what to do with it. Why don't we talk about it? Um, uh, I have a friend who lost his son in a car accident uh, when his son was 16 years old. And um, his son was older than me, so it was years ago now. 
And uh, when he and I talk about his son, you would swear that it happened yesterday. The pain is that fresh. And we, um, I can't even, I can't even imagine, I can't even put myself in an emotional place to imagine that kind of pain. Some of you have had to bury a child or a grandchild. And I cannot even, I, I get to, I want to cry just thinking about it. I can't imagine a worse form of pain. And culturally, we just don't talk about it. We don't. We don't know how to talk about it. As a church, we don't, I don't know how to talk. It's hard to talk about. Um, the CDC uh, reports that one out of, so 50, over 50% of all women have experienced sexual violence involving physical contact. One, over 50% of women, as a father of daughters, that breaks my heart. And culturally, we don't talk. How do you talk about it? And so we sit on the stories, and we don't talk about it. And what I've discovered in 15 years of doing ministry is when you sit on a story long enough that you don't talk about, that story begins to feel like shame. And it begins to make you feel different. And it begins to make you actually think, like, am I crazy? Like, am I the only one who's gone through this? Over the last couple of years, I've discovered lots of families um, especially during the pandemic. A lot of families around politics and pandemic and all the things, um, there's been some dysfunction. Moms no longer talking to daughters. Sons no longer talking to fathers. Uh, uh, Christmas parties, that's like we're all gathering still. We're all a family, but it doesn't feel like a family. And yet we still have memories of when it did feel like a family, and now we're kind of stuck in it. And we don't really talk about it. Um, And so we swallow it, and we... It kind of agonizes us from the inside. That's been my experience, having sat with enough of you. We don't know how to talk about it. But God does. Why Genesis? What you discover in Genesis is story after story after story of real people going through real stuff. God just doesn't talk about it. God gives stories of actual people who've actually gone through it. Uh, what you're going to discover over the next 39 weeks is this book can contain some of the most human stories. Sometimes it's, it's uncomfortably human stories, painfully honest stories uh, of people, failures. Uh, people, the heroes in this book are, the, are sometimes the biggest failures. Uh, Abraham, central character of the book of, of Genesis, Abraham will become the father of the Jewish people, the father of the Christian people, the father of the, the Muslim people. We all trace our roots back to Father Abraham. Abraham, right after God meets him and says, you're going to be the father of the people, his like, next story is he tries to pawn off his wife because he wants to save his own skin. And he's the hero. Now, God redeems the story, and we find how God meets him in his failure. But, but Genesis doesn't sugarcoat the story. Um, uh, there's stories of God celebrating with people in the moments of celebration. There's a really tender story of when Abraham and Sarah find out that after years of trying to have kids, they now are pregnant, and how God is celebrate. God meet, actually meets them in this moment, and God, cele- God celebrates with us in our moments of joy. And uh, there's stories of God weeping with people in moments of heartache. Um, there's a, a really heartbreaking story uh, that will catch you out of the blue if you've not read it before, of a woman named Hagar who thinks her son is going to die. And she's weeping as she watches her son thinking, I don't know if he's going to make it. Um, 
Uh, the story, the book of Genesis includes, like, we need hope. Why Genesis? We need hope that in our dysfunctional families, no matter what's happened, we can pull our, we, that God can pull us through it. You will find it the most dysfunctional family again and again. This is actually the story of one family traced throughout. It, it's an epic story. Uh, but there's a moment where uh, Joseph, um, you maybe have heard of Joseph in the coat of many colors. Uh, Joseph, uh, his brother sell him into slavery. And if Joseph can forgive his brothers, we're going to be okay. We can, get our, we can come through this too. Um, why Genesis? Uh, there are some of you who are in marriages where you feel unloved, um, unappreciated, and unattractive. You've been made to feel unattractive. And you will bump into a woman named Leah whose own father doesn't think she's attractive. Pawns her off. Her husband doesn't like her. He prefers her sister. Now, we can read these as ancient stories, but my hunch is that there are many of us And there are some of you who have been made to feel like no matter what you do, you're always unattractive, unappreciated, and undervalued. Wait till you see how God uses Leah. Um, Why Genesis? Uh, We are currently on the brink of a technological revolution. Some say it's the biggest technological revolution ever. Um, The advent of the internet. Um, Have you heard of ChatGPT? You followed this? Um, it, like, who knows where that will take us? Uh, the technology is a tremendous gift. It can take us in all kinds of new, beautiful places. And technology has a risk to it. And what you discover in the book of Genesis is a warning. Um, the brick is a new technology in Genesis. And what you discover is that good technology, if not placed in the hands and the hearts of, of people who follow and love God, can lead to disastrous outcomes. Um, there's a warning in Genesis I think we have to pay attention to. Uh, why Genesis? Um, some of you have been betrayed and hurt by friends, maybe by family. Uh, there's a story in the book of Genesis of twin brothers. Can anyone hurt you like a twin? Um, a twin brothers who have been at it for years. The story may feel five, may, may be 5,000 years old, and yet that story, I believe, will give voice to many of your pain. Um, there, why Genesis? Uh, some of you, um, far too many of us, we suffer alone, and we think that because we haven't spoken it, we're the only ones who, ever, who have ever felt it. And life can feel like it's a fog, And we kind of wander through life. The word I would use for myself at that period of my life was the word lost. And it just feels like, where are you, God? I can't see you. I don't feel you. I don't know you're even real because I can't see you. Genesis reminds us that God meets us in that moment. In the moment when we can't see him, when you want to shake your fist at the heavens, if you have any faith left to give, you want to shake your fist at the heaven and say, God, why? Genesis reminds us that God meets us in that moment. Genesis is a reminder that not only is God all-powerful, yes, he can make the world with words. Yes, he can raise the dead to life. God is powerful. But not only is God all-powerful, Genesis reminds us that our God is all-personal. I love this quote from uh, Chief Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Um, Notice how he describes Genesis. I I love this. Um, He says, 
by placing the stories of Genesis before the book of Exodus with its story of the birth of the Israelites as a nation, the Torah is implicitly telling us of the primacy of the personal over the political. Exodus is about the big theme, slavery and freedom, miracles and deliverances, the rescue of an entire people from oppression and their wondrous journey through the sea and the wilderness. It is about law and liberty and justice and the nature of Israel as a nation under the sovereignty of God. But by focusing first on individuals and their relationships, Genesis reminds us of the complexity of the human heart, which no political order in and of itself can resolve. If we cannot create peace or justice or compassion within the family, we will be unable to do so within the nation or the world. The complexity of the human heart. The human heart is complex. And Genesis meets us in that complexity. It, Genesis gives words to the stories that we feel. I'm telling you, um, it's raw, it's honest, it's sometimes uncomfortably raw and honest. Some of the stories are rated, rated R because life is rated R often. And, uh, and Genesis does not sugarcoat it. It does not push it under the rug. Genesis goes there. Stories of depression, stories of anxiety, Genesis goes there. Uh, and so I'm excited that we get to go there together over the next 39 weeks. Um, I want to invite you to use the devotional to do some of this work on, on your own at home. Um, one last thing, and then I'll wrap. Uh, why Genesis? Um, I would say that where we start, the story matters. And in many ways, culturally, there is a war. Uh, there are two stories at war for our hearts. The first story is a story that our culture loves. It's the story that says, if you work hard, if you put in the sweat, the blood, the tears, you can do anything you want. It's a story of an individual. And the greatest goal in life is to win, to succeed, and to achieve. But there's another story. A story of even in the moments when we're all broken and we feel like it's all falling apart. Our God can knit us together. And not just knit us together. Our God can remind us that that's where he meets us. He makes heroes out of those people. There are two stories at war for our hearts. The story of the individual and the story of the community. The story of you on your own with your strength and the story of us depending on God. Genesis invites us to trust the latter. It's a better story. It's a far better story. Jesus goes all the way back there because his story, he, re he realizes, does not start with the individual, it starts back there. And I would argue that what you're going to discover over the course of Genesis is that your story doesn't start with your birth. Um, I was born in Zealand. To a, your story goes back way further. I think what you'll discover is not every one of these characters you're going to resonate with, but one of them you will. There'll be some character in this book that you're going to read and say, oh, that's my story. Uh, let me read one more quote, and then we'll wrap. Um, this is, again, from Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. He says, Torah, those first five books of the Bible, is God's book of humanity. And each of us is... Not... Okay, thanks, Siri. Um, uh, and each of us is a chapter in its unfinished story. Its words form our covenant with heaven. And as we listen and respond, we add our voice to the unbroken conversation between the people of God and our destiny. That's why Genesis. Um, 
Jesus meets two disciples. He tells his story. He begins at Genesis. And then their eyes are still not opened. And if you keep reading Luke 24, their eyes are opened when he breaks bread with them. Um, This moment, which by the way, should not surprise us. It's the most mundane thing. And yet it's the most personal thing. We We all eat. Jesus meets them around a meal, and this meal brings them back to a meal that they had around the the Passover meal. Jesus meets them around a meal. Um, We celebrate that meal as we call it communion. Some people, some traditions call it the Eucharist or the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper. Um, But at the heart of communion is a reminder that we can't do this on our own. We need you, God. And so we take communion. we, We talk about three big reasons for communion. Communion, remembrance, and hope. Uh, We come in hope. Some of you, uh, life has fallen apart. And you need to be reminded that our God in the end, he can fix it. He will fix it. This pain does not get the end of you. Um, The story ends with a communion banquet table in heaven. Okay, so some of you need hope. Some of you, um, we come in remembrance, remembering what Christ did for us. If you've never said yes to Jesus, I can think of no better time than to launch this new year with us together uh, this morning to say yes to Jesus. And we come in communion with the Father, with the Son, with the Spirit, but also with each other. Uh, There was an old tradition in churches um, for years where you would pass the peace um, because what they recognized, Jesus said these words that if you have something against your brother or sister, leave your gift at the altar and go reconcile to them. One of the things we do in communion is we take an inventory and say, is there anyone here that I've hurt? Is there anyone here that uh, I, I'm carrying something around that I just need to go say I'm sorry for, I need to accept forgiveness for, uh, we, need to, we need to take communion together. We've got to make some peace around this. I don't know what it is for you um, this morning, but I want to invite you to not just, make this, not just let this be a symbol, but to have some meaning behind our communion together. Uh, we've got four stations in the front here, and then Rob Hausman, Pastor Rob, will be in the back. He'll roam. If you, um, if you can't make your way forward um, or just prefer to have communion served to you, just wave your hand, and Rob would love to serve you. Um, but uh, we've got four stations in the front. Todd and Meg are going to help me out right now because our gluten-free are on the edges. Awesome. Um, by the way, they put this together every single week. Um, and so um, at some point, say thank you to Todd and Megan. They, they get here early. They stay here late. Um, but we've got four stations. Uh, the two on the edges have a gluten-free option, um, and these two in the middle do not. Uh, and then let me think if I have any other. I think that's it. Um, would you join me in a word of prayer? Uh, Lord, we recognize that what we are about to celebrate is a holy and sacred uh, tradition that, that traces itself um, back to you and even before um, to the moment you let your, your people free from slavery. Lord, um, we... Um, we remember the history and we take this moment with great reverence. And Lord, we take it with celebration because we recognize that you're a God who still sets people free. And for some of us this morning, Lord, we need to be reminded that you can do that work. Uh, For those of us who have been carrying this darkness inside of us, um, Jesus, would you, even this morning, would you set us free? And Lord, um, would would we respond the same way our ancestors did throughout history? in wild celebration. And so Jesus, we love you and we thank you and we pray this in your name. Amen. On the night, Jesus. We hope that this week's message has brought you both some challenge and some blessing. 
For more information about how you can become a part of the South Harbor Church community, find us on the web at www.southharbor.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at South Harbor Church. And on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., you can find our service streamed live on our Facebook page. And so from all of us here at South Harbor and the Harbor Churches, we want to wish you a blessed week.